Welcome along to another journey on the London Vlogger podcast with me, Stu, where I take you on some of London's most famous and lesser-known walking routes to discover the capital's history and sights. If you'd like to read all my walks, they're available at www.londonvlogger.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Google Podcasts or SoundCloud. My walk today takes me from the charming Regent's Park, past an iconic landmark of the London skyline, the BT Tower, and concludes in Soho Square. Beginning in one of London's eight rural parks, Regent's Park is named after Prince Regent, who later became King George IV, and the park was designed by John Nash and covers 410 acres of land, which includes the Queen Mary's Gardens, which features over 12,000 roses of 400 varieties. Originally part of the vast forest of Middlesex, known as Marlebone Park, in 1538 the land was seized by King Henry VIII. He turns the 550 acres of land into a hunting chase, and for the next 50 years it became a place where the King and Queen would entertain visiting dignitaries. However, between 1649 and 1660, after the Civil War, the Commonwealth Government under Oliver Cromwell chopped down many of the park's trees to help pay off the debts from the war. When Cromwell died, Charles II became king and the park returned to the crown. Over the next 150 years, the land was leased out to tenant farmers as hunting had gone out of fashion. In 1811, there became a greater financial opportunity to start building on parkland than farming on it and the new Prince Regent, later King George IV, wanted to take advantage of this. This led to designs being produced for a new summer palace in the gardens. The government architect, John Nash, was the main man behind the redesigned park, which was renamed Regent's Park. The park featured a huge lake, canal and the new royal residence. 56 villas and a series of grand Regency terraces were also built within the park. However, the prince's attention turned to improving Buckingham Palace, so the idea of a summer house didn't materialise, nor did the 56 villas either, as only eight were built. The park was originally only exclusive residence of the villas and terraces, but in 1835 it was open to the public. Like most of London during World War II, the park was bombed, with rubble from the buildings that were destroyed being dumped on the park's lawns. In 1932, the Queen Mary's Gardens opened to the public, with the Rose Gardens being completed in 1934. Today, the beautiful rivers, shrubs, plants and fields provide a reminder of what it was like to be in the Regency London. You do feel very lucky to have such a stylish and peaceful gardens within London, as you feel like you're in the countryside, not the centre of a city. The park also features many sporting facilities, with football and cricket pitches, so it's the perfect combination. On one side of the park you have the rivers and plants, and on the other you have the sporting side. The park also features the amazing Jubilee Gates, which are made from iron and were installed to mark the Silver Jubilee of King George V and the official opening of the Queen Mary's Gardens in 1935. It's time to leave the tranquility of Regent's Park and head to my next destination, the BT Tower. To get there, I head down Portland Place and take a left on New Cavendish Street. Opened in 1965 by Prime Minister Harold Wilson, the BT Tower was built from 13,000 tonnes of steel 
and 4,600 square metres of glass. It was commissioned by the General Post Office to support microwave aerials carrying telecommunication transmissions from London to the rest of the country. Architects Eric Bedford and G.R. Yates were the men behind its unique design. The aerials on the tower were originally designed to handle up to 150,000 simultaneous telephone conversations and 40 television channels, so you can imagine the demand there would be if it was used for Wi-Fi signals today. The tower stands at 189 metres high, which at the time made it the tallest building in London until 1980, when the NatWest Tower overtook it. Today, it is the 19th tallest building in the capital, and you do sometimes forget it's there, as a lot of the attention goes on to more notable skyscrapers like the Shard. Over the years, the tower has gone by many names, including the Museum Tower, the Post Office Tower, the London Telecom Tower, and currently the British Telecom, or BT Tower. It was awarded Grade 2 listed status in 2003, and even today it is still a major broadcast and communications hub, with most of the UK's TV channels passing through it. Regular fundraising events for the BBC's Children in Need are still held within it. With great phone signal in the area by the BT Tower, I now move on to my final destination on today's walk, Soho Square. To get there, I take a right on Charlotte Street and carry on to Rathbourne Place and Soho Street, and you're there. Outside Soho Square stands the St Patrick's Church, which is a Roman Catholic parish church which was built between 1891 and 1893 and designed by John Kelly. The current structure had replaced an earlier and smaller chapel which was built by Father Arthur O'Leary in the 1790s. Soho Square dates back to the 1670s and was formerly known as King Square after Charles II. In the middle of the square sits a statue of Charles II which was carved by Danish sculptor K.S. Gabriel Sibber in 1681. However, in 1875, when the square was altered, it was removed from the square due to its poor state and was given to artist Frederick Goodall. He placed the statue on the island in his lake at Grimsdyke until 1890, when dramatist W.S. Gilbert purchased the property. When Gilbert died in 1911, Lady Gilbert directed it to be returned to the square and in 1938, it was restored into its original place. The picturesque Tudor-like hut in the middle of the square, surprisingly, has only been there since 1925. During World War II, the hut was used as a bomb shelter with 12 inches of brick and a concrete roof to accommodate around 150 to 200 people. However, today, I'd love to say there is a magical use for it, but alas, there isn't, as it's now a shed filled with gardening tools to keep the square looking lovely. I hope you've enjoyed joining me on this walk and if you have any memories of London or want to get in touch to share why you love the capital, you can email me at londonvlogger at gmail.com or message me on social media, I'm at London Vlogger, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. Well, thanks for joining me and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Google Podcasts or SoundCloud. Until next time, stay safe and well. I look forward to you joining me on more of my walking adventures soon.